This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. Afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Curious Coaches Club. And it's a delight to be hosting and steering the ship today with some uh, fantastic people that we've got on board today. It's fantastic for me because I get to roll out my uh, Chicago <laughs> Bulls t-shirt. Um, generally, most of my clothes are 15 years old, and I tend to think that most things come back round in fashion every now and then. So if I hold them long enough, they'll certainly come back round. And what's brilliant is now I'm really in vogue and on trends. Um, and, and like many of you, will have been captivated by the last dance and everything that this has afforded us. So. Welcome to uh, this week's episode. Please make sure that your uh, microphone is on mute and your video is off. That will help with the bandwidth of the session. And also please make sure that the sound on your laptops is turned up as we have a little video clip later on in the second half of the show that will need a little bit of sound. The way that we structure these events is we tend to have a bit of chat at the start around a couple of themes, have a midway kind of Q&A and summary of the first half, and then in the second half of the show, we will then get into some more topics and questions then as well. And what you can see on the screen now is the different areas that we're going to get into. We've got three guests on with us today. Jenny Cody, you will be very familiar with as the other host of the Curious Coaches Club. So, good afternoon, Jenny. Nick, delighted to be here. Very good, very good. And equally sporting the non-UK coaching branding today with a Bulls t-shirt on, so nice, very good. Yes, yeah. And we have two other guests in Matt Johnson and Steve Bucknell, and I'll let them introduce themselves in a second. Um, before we start, I think because of the nature of this program that we're talking about today and the show that we're, we're obviously discussing, it's, it's really important that we kind of make references to a lot of what we see going on in America at the moment. And I, I sit here now as a white man and, and, and sometimes really struggle with what to say at these kind of moments. And I was directed to a, a podcast by Emma Atkins at our place over the weekend, which was Steve Kerr, who many of you will be familiar with from the program, with uh, Pete Carroll and Greg Popovich, so three very top-class American uh, sports coaches. It's well worth a listen, and there's a couple of things that I really took from it that they were talking about linked to a lot of the events that are going on after George Floyd's death, and the key thing is about understanding and it's essential that us as coaches have a really good understanding about people. And I think we're also uniquely placed that if we understand that our role is about working with people first and the sport second, we really will connect with people. And by the nature of the different communities, backgrounds, all sorts of things of the different people that we'll come across in sport, Having an understanding of other people and their experiences and their journey is crucial. But it's also at times like this that being not racist is not enough. We have to be anti-racist. We're a generation now that has to start to challenge some of the views. 
and really link that with our understanding of, of people if we're going to move this world forward. And I think as coaches that we are uniquely placed to do this. There's a great video clip that I would send you to to, to have a watch of. It's by a guy called Emmanuel Akko. And Emmanuel was an NFL player. And he's done uh, a short 10-minute clip. It's had about 20 million views now. And it's called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. It is well worth a watch. And certainly coming from somebody as a white man, it was part of me going, I need to be better. I need to understand more. I need to educate myself. So we'd also see this week that Michael Jordan has donated $100 million to social injustice and fighting some of these things as well. And I think we should really commend that as part of what we're doing today. And Michael is obviously a real key part of the program. So I'm going to park my, uh, my moments there, but thank you for affording me the opportunity to do that at the start of this show. And what I want to do is I want to dive straight in and we're going to get into the topic of leadership. And there's loads of moments of, uh, of superb leadership by Phil Jackson within The Last Dance. But what I'm going to do is, Matt, I'm going to throw it out to you to start with. Just a, a, a quick couple of sentences on, on who you are and also some of the key things that you then might have taken from Phil Jackson and his approach to leadership across The Last Dance. Thanks, Nick. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, we've got you loud and clear. Yeah, hi. Um, nice to virtually meet everybody. I'm Matt Johnson, so I'm based in Reading. Uh, I'm at an academy there, and I'm also the Basketball England talent manager for the South of England. So I work with Steve Butler, who you'll be hearing from very soon. Uh, and I just wanted to firstly say thank you. Uh, I mean, it's a wonderful opening. The, the music was great, so we all had a little box <laughs> in the beginning of that. Um, but then to get right into it, I think Nick was just such an important thing. So thank you for leading with. Uh, you know, some of the very difficult conversations that coaches are going to have and, and just being educated better for that. Uh, I think the last dance for me is was just wonderful that our sport was in the spotlight and actually the fact that it was the coach that was in the spotlight as well. So coaching, um, you know, 10 hours worth to watch every Monday morning or whenever it was for, for most people and, and how it cross-referenced so many sports. I think to me, it really echoed the fact that coaching is not necessarily about the sport and you led with it saying it's about, you know, you're working with people first, players second. I couldn't echo that enough. And I think if we learn anything from watching Phil Jackson in a, in a very strange bubble that the NBA is, uh, I think it's really important for us to recognize that if he's working so well with players like that, like he did with famously with Michael Jordan, probably the most competitive man ever to walk the planet. And then Dennis Rodman at the same time, probably the most ill-disciplined at times. I think we can learn a lot from that. So, you know, the, my, my opening would be to say, thank you for it being on telly. Thank you for us as sports people sharing that. And, and the more we can the learn from any observation of coaches, I think, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely. Jenny, what was what was your kind of takeaway things around leadership there from Phil that you might have picked up on from different nuggets? Yeah, cool. Um, echoing some of what Matt said there, but interesting. Brought me back to Tim Grover's book. I think there's a snippet with Tim in the last dance, and he talks about the cleaner. <clears throat> and at the time I read that book, it was more Kobe that was in my mind, um, and then the, it linked it together. It was like at all costs, 
you know, at all costs, what, you know, what's the next challenge, what's the next challenge and how does that link to leadership what, or what we kind of in our everyday coaching or interactions, coach development, deal with coaches, what does that mean? Um, and what has our experience with a leader been? You know, is it that person who leads in the front or the nonverbal and all this? And it brought me to a quote, what well, was more of a definition of um, Prentice, WCH, uh, an old kind of research paper around uh, leadership is the accomplishment of a goal to the direction of human assistance. And the human assistance part caught me. And I just said, like, is that what, is that what the team were for him, a vehicle? And I know we, we saw a bit of the last dance. We saw how it was shaped, who owned it, who produced it. But bringing it into my own context, my own journey, like was sport the vehicle for me and how did I interact with people on my journey? And when I coached, you know, was I a leader? Was I the leader that I had been exposed to or did I see what was in front of me? So it unraveled a load of different things, you know, as well as the fun moment, as Matt said, of having a sport that I absolutely love in my veins being the topic of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it must have been superb for, for you guys just to absolutely just immerse yourself in. But, you know, for us that don't live in basketball as well, it was uh, it was just, without doubt, one of the best sporting documentaries I think I've ever seen. And we're also delighted to have on the uh, on the panel today, Steve. And Steve has what I would only describe as a very unique experience having <laughs> um, having played against Michael. Um, and I had 20 minutes on the phone with Steve this morning. And once we got past the discussions about donuts, um, hearing, some of his, <laughs> hearing some of his stories about playing against Michael um, were fascinating. But what, what did you kind of take from this, Steve, around leadership and then obviously knowing the man and, and being part of that growing up? Do we have Steve? Can you hear me? Yep. Can you hear me? Am I loud and clear? Well, we, we, we certainly am. We've got you. Yeah, thanks for having me on today, Nick, and uh, good afternoon, everybody. Yeah, watching watching The Last Dance, you know, brought back some memories. Uh, I was I grew up in that era as a basketball player, and uh, I always found it fascinating that, you know, lead, leadership is not given, it's, it's earned. And... Uh, Phil Jackson had to earn earn that trust with his players, and I think that that's key to what bringing all those different personalities, which uh, Matt talked about, and the greatness of Michael Jordan, bringing that together couldn't have been an easy task for him. So the players had to have trusted him, and having to, have, having to probably want a leader, somebody to lead from the front, and that's what he did very well. That's what I took from that. No matter how good Michael Jordan was. He still needed somebody else to look to and somebody to, that could be a leader and a focal point. And Phil Jackson was it. Yeah, brilliant. Well, and one of the quotes that I, I took out from, from this was, was, was how he, he discovered the more I tried to reserve power, the less powerful I became. I learned to dial back my ego and distribute power as widely as possible without surrendering final authority. And he talks about letting each player discover his own destiny. Matt, tell us, tell us about how you kind of would would take on that comment and then how that might be embraced within your own coaching. Yeah, I mean, it's powerful, isn't it? And I think pretty much everything Jackson said in all his books from Sacred Hoops onwards, you could you could talk about it all day. Uh, I think the key thing for me is to just remind ourselves when people like him, you never felt that he's coaching like, in the mirror. You felt he's coaching in the window, you know, and... I think it's so important for us to grasp that wherever we are, whatever we're doing. And I certainly got that wrong as a younger coach. And I felt that there was a lot of, I wanted to know what I looked like when I was coaching and, 
you know, big character and aggressive and getting results and, you know, doing stuff like that. I think it's, it comes with a bit of experience to understand that the mirror is going to lie to you, but, but what's outside the window, how your athletes are reacting to you, how your program's working, how your impact is on families and other people become so much more a measure of your ability than just whether or not you can manage to run the newest offense or, uh, or defend in a certain way that's trendy. So I would say that there's a real lesson in there for every coach in every, in every sport and everywhere to just kind of continue to be honest with ourselves. You know, I think leadership is about the, the, the naked importance of yourself and being able to challenge yourself openly across any level you are. And Phil Jackson showed us that in, in throughout all these things. I never felt watching it, and Steve's got a closer view of it than I have, but I never felt that he was ever more important than the target that the group had. So, you know, I, I, think, it's, I, think, it's, I think it's wonderful to really share that. Steve, what's been your experiences of maybe as a player and being involved around different leaders that you might have experienced linked to some of the comments that Matt's made there? Um, well, for me, I mean, I, I, I was under the tutelage of uh, Coach Dean Smith, a very famous coach, and he always said, I'd rather have one volunteer than 10 press men. So it's about getting your players to, to, buy, yeah, to buy into your philosophy, to buy into it. Uh, you also want to be challenged as a leader but you also want everybody to be steering in the right directions. Uh, you know, you have a focal point, which for Jackson was probably winning a championship, and everybody had to buy in that. You couldn't press them into that. They had to believe in that journey, and they had to believe that together uh, they, could, they, they could succeed and not as individuals. Yeah, and I think that, that coming through as um, in, individuals was not going to win them something. I think BJ Armstrong made a quote, didn't he? You know, we had to stop Michael scoring 30 points a game because the team would be more successful. I mean, he scored 50 and 60 points a game as well, which probably helped at times. Um, and interesting, one of the other things that he talked about, and Jenny, I'll be interested in your view on this, is that he talked about the key to success is compassion. What, what do you kind of make of that and how do you see that in some of the coaches that you've worked with? Gosh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> it's a daily conversation I have with coaches I work with at the moment, and it's it's trying to get them to understand um, or even share their experiences of what that looks like. Um, you mentioned Steve Kerr earlier on, and one of the quotes I read was, um, he was a people over plays, you know, and so often we talk about or get immersed in the, the tech tech and who knows this and who knows that and how much can you get in this social world and this interactive virtual world. But yeah, it comes boils down to understanding players. Like we, we I mean, you can't avoid the Rodman, the Rodman scenarios, knowing what that need of that player was. We got a snippet and I know there's loads that went on in the background. But what, what we did see, or what I did see in that space, is that he, he understood, he had compassion towards that, that person, the journey he'd been on. Um, and we, he spoke himself about being homeless, to where he got there, the journey through Pistons and the different environment into that space. And it does bring me back again to how individual, whether it is an invasive sport you're in or not, how individual that relationship is with, mm. with your athletes. Mm. In fact, I think Dennis said in it, you know, he said he, did, he didn't look at me as a basketball player. He looked at me as a great friend. Mm. Yeah. What, what does that look like in your coaching world, Matt? How do you kind of help coaches develop that as an ethos? I, 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 was, I was chuckling away listening to Jenny and the, and the Dennis Rodman thing because I can just see a load of kids now saying, I'm going to have four days off to go and party with Carmen. <laughs> Vegas, Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just wondering, we'll probably all be able to deal with that, but I probably can't deal with the fact that their mum thinks they should play more. You know, there's going to be some 
some real kind of contextual learning here. I think I think the question you're asking is about kind of relationships and um, and seeing how the it's very difficult for us, isn't it? Because to observe Jackson and to observe how closely we did in that situation, I think we also have to have an air of caution that probably none of us on this call will be coaching an MBA team in the next six months. And the journey that he went on was certainly different to get to that. And I think that shows you that relationships are a journey. And that's the very difficult thing when you're coaching players in maybe one or two year programs, which a lot of us do in youth, you coach under 14s, and some of us are lucky enough to stay with them for longer. I, I do think, though, that the relationship is a 360 thing that you know, we, we really, and, and that's what you're paying attention to there. Bill Jackson was very, very acutely aware of, you know, to manage the whole relationship, not just the one that the media saw. And I, I think you've got to bear that in mind as we're watching a, a documentary that was pretty much about how brilliant Michael Jordan is. But there is another side to that as well. And I'm sure it wasn't quite as rosy as we saw. And that would be interesting for another documentary maybe down the line. But yes, I think being able to see Jackson managing some of those huge egos just gives us a little bit of understanding that on our day to day when I'm, I have to deal with some of the issues that maybe 12 and 11 year olds have or 13 year olds have with their worries about school or family or you know, it allows me to go into that route as a coach and, and not to feel that that's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you did was lead us nicely into that, that, that next topic that we wanted to talk about was, you know, so we saw a lot about Phil Jackson managing up in a system and having a relationship with Jerry Krause as uh, a very influential figure, which would have would have hugely challenged his uh, mm. his approach at times. And and with Jerry Krause trying to overstep that boundary at times, wanting to be in amongst the players and on the coach, and a very very different kind of challenge that he had there. But in our world, uh, as you just you said there, Matt. One of the judges that we have to face is parents. Yeah. Um, you know, we might not be in a world where we have owners or a board or a chairman, et cetera, but yeah. we do have parents who can be one of those judges. And and Steve, you're obviously a, a parent of of a, of a couple of lads, like you said today, and uh, uh, will play that role as much as a as a coach. What are your kind of experiences then of trying to balance off managing those people that might judge your coaching and have a perception of what it should be? Um, is my mic on? Yeah, we got you. I mean, managing expectations, I think, is, is the biggest thing. Uh, with dealing with parents, uh, every parent thinks they have the next uh, Larry Bird. Am I going too far back? <laughs> so you, you have to manage that and, and put it in the scheme of things and say, this is where your child is now. Obviously, the sky is the limit if they do the right things and get the right opportunities, but it's just managing that because, you know, a lot of parents come to you, why, why am my child not playing? Why are they not playing? And usually the coach gets blamed for that, but, you know, I try to sit down and say, there's a bigger picture here. We're trying to develop young men for the future, not just on the court, but off the court. And sometimes you've got to have resilience, which means things may not happen your way, but you've got to get back up and start all over again and buy into the team concept. So I'm always stressing that with parents, and it's the same with the kids. I always tell them it's not the, it's not the player that's the greatest now that we're looking at. It's the player that can jump over all these hurdles, all, this, all these uh, issues you might have, and after about 10 years, maybe you're going to see the results of, of what you work for. And that's, and that's hard to, to get them to understand that because they want everything now. But uh, we continue to work on that. 
Yeah, and I think that's probably a bigger challenge for, for coaches that mo- might work in grassroots or community sport. Again, that you know, it's it's more, and maybe there's a different reason why kids are playing, which mm. which can probably then affect some of the challenges and motivations of the coaches. And maybe some of the the coaches that you work with across the system now, how how do you support them to to manage other people that might be judging or having an opinion of, uh, of their coaching? I think uh, Steve hit the nail on the head with managing expectations. I think it's, <clears throat> it's um, when you do have those conversations with the athletes and you go to like, you know, why are you here? What's motivating you? And you have the parent element. There's, there's a whole other area of the influence social media is putting on. Mm. You know, you go to a coaching session and then they go home and they YouTube something or they see something on Instagram and they go, oh, my coach said this or my county coach said this, my club coach said this. And I mean, I'm going to do the whole cliched word of communication, but it is a breakdown of that. And it's a little bit of maybe turning the finger in to yourself and going, well, why am I coaching here? If it is people development and I try and take the pressures of performance and medals and, and finance and all those things that come with it. If I am, then I get to the crux of there may be six or seven coaches or people coaching, teaching this one athlete, this one individual. So getting to that, that baseline of, right, okay, you've come into this session, have a quick check-in with them, get to know what the session looks like. I know, Nick, you and I had that conversation before about knowing the player and then getting to the next stage of, right, well, what does the next stage of their performance look like? Um, you know, and uh, like I think one of the one thing that comes back to me and it is evident in the last dance as well, where there's a trust that builds and a deep rooted respect that grows and rapport grows from that, I think the coaching role becomes way easier. You know, the the exes and outs we can take from here and there and everywhere and put in, and you come out in some games being, oh my goodness, what a last a last second play and clutch shot and you designed this and that's amazing. But if you have a group of athletes who are buying in, or that five or six in the basketball sense, that buy, buy in and trust, I think it's invaluable, you know? Yeah, I think it's an interesting comment in there from Dave Jackson that, yeah, so Jerry has his stats in the rafters next to him. I mean, you know, there's probably a lot of general managers who would be in the background and wouldn't even be known. Mm. I mean, what's your thoughts on that, Steve? Uh, I find that extremely strange. It's not usually in our business of sports that the general manager wants to be front and center. A general manager, to me, you never hear of him. You don't even know who he is. Uh, those are some of the best ones. So obviously there were some issues going on uh, inside the organization where Jerry wanted to be seen as the main guy. But, uh, you know, that's the way it is. They still were able to, to win many, many championships, even with his uh influence on the team so it is what it is we all have to learn to adapt and when you want to win those type of things really don't affect you as a team if you've got your close-knit group and you form that group with your with your players no one can get inside no matter what they do and I think that was really prevalent with the Chicago Bulls even though he tried and he tried he kept knocking on the door they just wouldn't let him in and <laughs> continue to have success what do you think, Steve, were the crucial things that Phil did in order to build that synergy as a team? Um, have Michael Jordan on your team? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, I mean that would help. I mean, I mean, when you got somebody like Mike on the team who leads from the front, who's there at practice, the first one at practice, the first one to leave, the guy who does everything he's supposed to do, it's easy for a coach to say, "Look at him." <laughs> You know, he's doing all the right things, follow. So I think it, I think it was just a, a match made in heaven to me is to have a guy like Phil who could rally people and personalities 
and then have your captain, your soldier on the floor who would do anything to win and leads by the front. So no one could actually be left behind because they knew that Mike wouldn't let it happen. The team wouldn't let it happen. So everybody stayed ready. Everybody worked as 110% all the time, maybe except Mike, but he was a special case because, as you know, he'll go on the floor and get 45 rebounds and not shoot the ball one time. So, you know, that is, that is something that is immeasurable for a team. And yeah, Steve, I mean, you've got to tell us, what was he like to play against? <laughs> um, well, we did discuss it a little bit today. My first meeting with, with Michael Jordan was at North Carolina. He used to come down in the summers and scrimmage with some of the other great players that went through Carolina. And I remember, you know, we, we, I was up on the floor. Michael came in. All of a sudden, everybody stopped for about 30 seconds. You didn't want to act like you were stopping, but you had to stop and take a look. And everybody's like, there's, there's Mike. Mike's coming in. So, you know, when he gets on the floor, I put my hands up to play. Uh, I didn't get picked that first game. But then he, I think he dunked on about five people. And the next game, he was like, does anybody want to come out here and try to play some defense on me? Obviously, I was a rookie and a freshman at the time. And I was naive, and I put my hands up. So that's the way I got onto the floor with, with, with Mike, because I wanted to play defense. Uh, after that, his athletic ability is just off the charts. That's, that's what I couldn't comprehend, how somebody 6'6 could move like that with some grace. Uh, and then the, the worst thing about Mike, he's so competitive, he'll, he'll actually tell you the moves as he's doing them to see if you can stop him. <laughs> really frustrated, like, I'm going to take two dribbles to the right and pull up. So you know exactly what he's going to do, but there's nothing you can do about it. He was just that type of character. He was a, he was a special guy to watch. I mean, you had people from the, from the crowd, you should sit there and watch him. The players used to come down, sit on the sidelines, and you just... Just watch Michael Jordan and try to take mental notes. It got so bad, some people even bought notepads and tried to take, you know, notes from him. He was just a, a great, a great player to watch. And obviously, you know, you saw you saw the end product. It was uh, amazing. They had um, an interesting. It was again one of the snapshots post last dance. It's Steve Kerr and Scotty Pippen on talking about the change in the game. And Steve, I mean, I'm a big Kerr fan, <laughs> probably because I was small and I had to stay outside. <laughs> but uh, he, he said, he threw out a statistic there that said, in two seasons, Steph has nailed the same amount of three-pointers that Steve did over 15. <laughs> and the game has changed. Now, obviously talking about, you know, MJ in there, and I was looking at the partnerships of, you know, Pat Riley with, with Magic and Kareem, and then you had Popovich, as you mentioned earlier, Nick, with David Robinson and Tim Dutton, and with Spurs. So that it's dotted everywhere. I think I just feel pity for Carmelone and John Stockton <laughs> that they never got to the end. You know, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, a, a lot of people say the same thing in the league that uh, if Michael wasn't there, they they would have won uh, a couple championships. I think Akeem Olajuwon was 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 pretty was pretty happy when Mike. Took that year out, a couple of years out. <laughs> One of my friends, Kenny Smith, who I played with, he was like, "That's the best thing ever happened." When Mike took a couple of years out, we were somebody else was able to win. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, and, and certainly from my experiences from a different sport, you know, the the elite, the best of the best, have a, a relentless drive to keep being the best of the best, and. A friend of mine worked at Manchester United for years with Sir Alex Ferguson and through that kind of 90s, 2000s era with 
with Cristiano Ronaldo. And he said that Ronaldo was the hardest person to coach and the best person to coach. Because he would come in every day demanding that all of the coaching staff around him helped him become the best player in the world. But he was the easiest player in the world to coach because he had that drive and relentless uh, win at all costs mentality. Hmm. Matt, how do you kind of then start to get some of that ethos into the kids that you might work with throughout all of the ages that, you know, this is what the, the world's best do? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, it's so, it's so rich and I'm, listening, I'm watching the chat as well and I think it's really interesting what some of the coaches are coming up with. I think what, one of the things that comes to me is that there's a lot of talk about knowing the player, knowing the person, but you've also got to really know what your team needs and uh, does your team, is, is your team a team like, like Phil has got, like Steve alluded to, where you've got the most competitive guy, so you've got the driver and therefore you actually don't need to fuel it anymore. Actually, you need to bring a calm. I almost, I think Sarah said, it's almost like a spirituality to it. And that got me thinking about in Sacred Hoops, Jackson's first book, there is almost a Zen-like quality that he goes to. And I believe that was his brilliance, was understanding that's what this team and that's what this environment needs. It actually needs a calmness for decision-making because you are, alluding to your previous point, you're under the spotlight of not just your peers, the franchise, history, the world, cameras, media, like we've never seen before. So I think understanding that it is genius. And when, you know, Steve's saying it might be quite easy coaching, John, I think we've also said it's probably very difficult at the same time. There's, there's probably two sides to it. But, you know, you, you're forgetting that Jackson also had to select the way that the team played. He had to have the best system for the team, which at the beginning, the best player didn't agree with. So he had to be really strong with his way of knowing that even though Michael Jordan you know, and saying that for basketball players is like, you know, almost religious, even though he doesn't believe that I know what's right for this group. So I, 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 think it's, I think it's intrinsically incredible to see that when coaches are that committed to their entire group and not just a small amount of the group, that magic can happen. And I believe that at youth as well, rather than, you know, there's three good kids on a team, so let's make them good. I think you, we miss out on so many other surprises that are going to happen. That's what I took from from when I was watching Jackson, he really believed in the whole group needing to succeed. And I think mean, there's an element that we have to do that in and look at ourselves because we're coaching young people and often winning can be one of the drivers and it can be very easy to shortcut that. That's, a, that's what we really have to be aware of, I think, Nick. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, that, that's a lovely summary to kind of lead us into that half-time piece, really. Um, you know, one, one of the nice bits that I get in, in this role that Jenny does when we when we share it between us is that we kind of get to summarise that halfway through, and and I just get to sit and listen to amazing people saying amazing stuff. It's such a nice role. Um, but having, I think, from that kind of piece on leadership, what you all talked about there about having an understanding of self um, and the role that we have within that, and and then how we support other people with with their journey through, and some of the points that Matt just made to sum up there. Um, was a kind of a, uh, a snapshot of what we've got. And what I think I will be doing from this conversation today is going back and listening again and just kind of sitting there with a notepad and pen and taking all of these kind of comments from it myself. But moving into that kind of second half, we're going to pick up a little bit on relationships. And I think this is the, the, the crux of coaching. You know, it is ultimately it's about people and it's about how we do that. Um, and, and some of the little kind of flip bits that came up with, with managing Dennis Rodman. Um, I, I mean, Matt, have you, have you ever had a, a Dennis Rodman? 
<laughs> um, if I did, I wouldn't be sitting in a house in Reading, Nick. I tell you, um, I'd be somewhere famous and and on Illustrated. No, uh, I haven't. But I think every team almost has a little bit of a Rodman, don't they? In every sport, there's always, you know, in all the group dynamic books that you read, there's always someone that will go against you. And I think it's wonderful that we do because it would be such a boring world you know, without that. So I, I think the challenge of that is for us to understand what that player needs. Mm. And it's such a beautiful tableau, isn't it? When you see that picture that we just shared with, you know, Phil Jackson and Jordan, we can read so much into the eyes of both the people and this respect and, and also how that is managed with famously with Robin and, and Steve would have been a lot closer to it than me, but understanding that, that the empathy that Phil Jackson has shown in that there's a, there's a wonderful bit where I think he's been away. Robin's been away for four days and every coach I've ever known would be giving him the hairdryer. I will be kicking him off the team and doing anything. He walks back back in and the head coach says, we're disappointed that you let us down. Let's go and practice. And I, I was stunned by it because I don't know another person that would manage it so calmly. I'm not so, I'm, I'm not advocating that we're doing this with the under-14 girls team that are coming in and someone's been away and then we're suddenly becoming lacking discipline. But at the same time, his target was not to disrupt that group. So relationship handling for him I think we've got some lessons but I would say we shouldn't be copying but we should certainly be observing yeah absolutely Steve if you were knowing what you do about Michael <laughs> as a coach how would you have managed Michael well I, I think the first thing is I've got to gain his respect somehow uh, I've got to let this player know that you know I've got your back 100% I need you to have mine that, that would probably mean spending some quality time with him outside the court, you know, reaching out to him, asking him questions, making him be a part of the process that, you know, you have to get the, the top player to buy into what you're going to do. And I'm sure that Phil Jackson, you know, did his due diligence, found out what you need to find out about Mike. Maybe he likes to play golf. Maybe he likes to do other things and, and, and try to meet him halfway. And once you get him on your side, then the rest is easy, I believe. Mm, absolutely. I'll just throw in that as a question in the chat box for, for everybody listening. How many of us as coaches do that with all the kids or people that we might be working with? There's a, there's a great stat about kind of you know, needing to know the hopes and dreams of your kids or the people that you're working with, not, not about what they want to achieve as a, as a player or as an athlete, whatever their sport might be, but just them as people. Yeah. You know, what, what do they want to achieve in life as people? And how can we as coaches support them to develop the skills that are going to help them go on and be that? Because such a tiny percentage are ever going to go and be elite athletes in, in some description, but we have that responsibility to develop them to be better people. So it, it's essential that we develop those relationships. I did see a, a stat from research uh, in secondary schools, 10,000 kids in a study, 52% of kids in the school didn't think that the teachers knew their name. Mm. Now, that's frightening, uh. but this is coming from them, and we have to start to develop relationships. So Jenny, what, what would you start to say about kind of key, key things that you would say to coaches to support them in order to help to develop more effective relationships with people? Because this is something that you're really good at, I think. Oh, stop that, you. <laughs> um, you know, like, I 
I think I know I've, I've turned the communication words out there. We've talked about compassion, we've talked about trust, and all those words. And yes, I'm definitely that that pusher of what does that word mean? What does that look like? But actually, just an understanding that everyone's different. When you talk about the maverick, I think some coaches are afraid. And you add the parent word into the, and whatever sport it may be, if you do, unfortunately, unfortunately, whatever way you look at it, if the parents are there and present and they have or haven't played the sport, they're watching and there's that judgment coming in. So, you know, should I have all the ducks in a row? Should all the athletes come in, stand the same way, prepare the same way? Or what if, like, um, you know, Mary's over in the corner doing different stretches and the perception that's there that actually that's what works for Mary? And I have that clarity and transparency in my coaching. And I say have the confidence, but maybe that comes with time. But I would maybe support coaches to be confident in that. When you get to know the athletes and you know what they need and how what works for them, it's, it's giving them that autonomy. Um, mm-hmm. And then the, you know, the relationship then comes from a little bit of the authentic you that comes in. Not telling your deepest, darkest secrets, because, you know, you're probably working with the younger athletes. And even if it's even, uh, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing that. But you should be given a little bit more of you to go, sometimes I don't know the answer. Um, instead of the all-being, all-payload coach that has all this, you know, this big toolkit that they're ready to solve everything for you. Um, and that is from talking to coaches who have had those conversations and said, actually, let me come back to you on that, or I see your point of view. And that, that becomes that reciprocal kind of conversation. Um, and I know that people who are coaching younger athletes might go, well, is that really realistic? Is there a point in their development or their, their stage of sport where they need a tell? They need those tell questions to come in. But that's where I think the sense checking through the session sometimes works. Other people say the questioning through the session kills the flow. But I think if you have a, a dabble in, you have a purpose of the session um, outlined and you can support them in understanding different ways to move through that session. Mm. Yeah, and one of the quotes that I pulled out as well is so how Michael loved challenges. So I challenged him to imagine a new way of relating to his teammates. I'd ask him, how do you think Scotty or Horace would feel if you did this? And what he was doing is that he was throwing it out there to, to let him solve the problem himself. So it, it, again, it's, it's working cleverly with players to help them grow as individuals, which I think we have a role to do. But did you see in the, in the um, last dance there where, again, we got that snippet of um, Phil going to, to Michael and saying, this is what I'm thinking of doing? Um, and mm. about the Rodman scenario. I mean, it brought me back to, I was fortunate to be part of a really successful underage team into a senior program and we were going into a final and one of the girls um, had taken a session off before that and we, we, you, someone saw her somewhere. They were just like, ooh, um, you're skiving off a session and we were in sweating in the gym. You know, cup finals were coming up that weekend and, how did, and we were all about a players meeting and a team meeting and, you know, and maybe that's what she needs. And maybe they've had a conversation, but we weren't privy to that, and and that created a, a an us and her, and it just wasn't a great situation. And yeah, I think you know those situations occur in different people's worlds every so often that they can iron those out by simply communicating and having a bit of transparency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we can't move on for it because I was devastated when I when I watched it. Steve, your take on Scotty Pippin not wanting to go onto the court because he didn't have the last shot. What's your take on that? How would you kind of manage that relationship there? Um, Well, Scotty Pittman was always seemed as a second fiddle to Mike. 
And that mm. played on his subconsciousness a, a lot. Even though they were successful, everybody wants to be the guy. Everybody wants to be that guy. So I kind of understand as a player, because I've always played that third or fourth or fifth row guy on the team where I thought I could do more, but I didn't take the responsibility, whether whether it was because of the coach's decision or other players. So I do understand a little bit what he's going through. But for me, it was always about the end, the end, the win, the win for the team. I was always a team fan. I'm sure Scotty is. He he knew that whatever he wanted, however he felt, it, it wasn't right for the team to actually reach their goal. And I think after after six championships, he probably figured it out. And uh, I think he was, he, you know, he took a back seat. If he'd have went anywhere else, he probably could have been a superstar player, kind of, you know, that one guy in his own right. But he decided to stay where he was, and I think it was the best decision he ever made. And I think he sits back now with those six rings thinking I did the right thing. So I, I, I believe in Scotty Pittman, and, you know, you get over those things. As long as you get the win and you get the results and the team is still behind you and your, and your teammates are behind you, I think you can live with it. Yeah, I think Phil said afterward, you know, Scotty, what you did affected us as a whole team that you did this. Mm. And apparently it was one of the players, wasn't it? It was Bill Cartwright that stood up in front of the rest of the players and gave a speech about how what, what Scotty did affected the team. And he said he had tears rolling down his face. Mm. I mean, that's when you know you've got a team connection there, Matt. That's really strong. Yeah, yeah well, well who's, who's actually the coach of the team? Is it Jackson or is it Jordan or is it Cartwright? And I think that's where the thing gets really deep and interesting because you mm. create that kind of... And everyone wants to create that within their own groups, doesn't it? But it, team sports are very difficult to manage that way because you've got this picture of like American football with 55 guys who are doing exactly the same thing. And it gives you a very good optic as the coach of, I've got it all warm-ups in basketball. Or whatever. Oh, it all looks perfect. Therefore, I must be doing well. I think we have to be very careful as coaches. That we're not seeking the optics, you know, just to get the optics right. Because it can camouflage actually what the real issues are. And I think this is where Jackson's genius was that we can read through that. It, it never felt like he avoided any situations, even if it would have been easier to camouflage them, even if it would be easier to get rid of them. And I, I think as a coach over the years, I've, I've, really, I've really endeared myself to coaches that talk about difficult things. And they have those conversations, but just like you did, Nick, at the beginning of this. Talking about difficult situations doesn't mean we have the answer. It doesn't mean I know what to do. It just means I know it's there. And I always felt with Jackson, and for us to get a little snippet of it through the, through the program, that it, it gave us the, the authority to talk about difficult things and to say these things are issues. And we don't actually know how to deal with it because you are Steve, and Steve would have dealt with it diff differently to Jenny, yourself, myself, or anyone on this call. And neither of those are right or wrong, but we are able to kind of at least say, well, okay, this is this must have been a very difficult thing to get balanced. So how do, how do you encourage coaches to be able to have that view that they need to have these difficult conversations, and then how would you kind of support them to do that? Um, I had a couple of situations in clubs where we had coaches that are working with groups that they've never worked with before. And some of them had learned from the previous season that it was quite difficult. A guy that had never coached a women's team before and, and decided to stay away from issues or things he felt were issues. And the, uh, you know, and the following season, we sat and debriefed about it, and it had caused so many more issues for him to deal with. So we, we created a situation, or he did in his training session, where anything that they felt, as this is as a senior group as well, less so with a junior group, with a senior group, just being able to have a moment and having it built into your plan 
to say, right, well, what, what things are there? I can see there's something, there's an issue there between you, or let's make sure that was dealt with. And I work closely with Alan Kinney, who you had on before, and they'll have hot reviews, and they'll have, you know, Mark Bennett will bring stuff in it's on purpose to allow you the time in your practice to say, hey, there's a hot moment there. Let's, let's deal with it. Let's talk about our intention, not our action. So I think there is a way to do it. And, and, and I would say as a coach, you have to do it. If you want to actually get to the next level, if you want to really be anxious in your coaching, you have to grab those relationships. Mm, absolutely. I think um, for people that might uh, be less familiar, hot debriefs are those kind of conversations that you have in the moment, right after it, that go, right, this is the discussion point. And, and us as a staff of, of UK coaching, uh, we have this as well. Uh, straight after these sessions, you know, we'll we'll stay on for another. Well, in the early days of these, probably 45 minutes, pulling the session apart. What do we need to change? What didn't we change? Today, we'll get the views of Matt and Steve into this as well. And you know, that those hot debriefs in the moment certainly give us something. Um, if you could just turn up your sound, if you're listening now, um, just for this little moment of. Uh, Genius from Will Ferrell. <laughs> Let's go, Tigers. Bring it in. Bring it in. Let's go. I would say kicking and screaming is uh, on a par with The Last Dance as one of the greatest sports films of all times there. <laughs> um, uh, but I think that was, um, that was part of the ethos before Phil got there, was whenever you got the ball, give it to Michael. And that was what we're doing. But when a lot of the coaches that we're talking about here um, will be in uh, grassroots sport and might have a different ethos, how do you get away from that, Steve? How do you get away from one player being the entire focus of attention at a different level of sport? Um, well, my brief coaching, what I, what I like to do is, is make everybody feel a part of the team. So it's not relying on, on just scoring. Uh, people will get praise for playing good defense. Somebody will get uh, recognition for making a good pass. Everybody will, will get recognition depending on what I see their skill sets are, and that will keep them motivated. At the end of the day, we know the ball has to go in the hole, but you know there's a lot of other things that happen before that. So every player on the team feels like they're important. Uh, another key thing for me is making sure everybody on the team gets to play. 
So, you know, we usually have 12 guys on the bench, and I always encourage our coaches to try to find some minutes for everybody so everybody stays engaged in the game and feels a part of the game. And that will also support their teammates in tough situations when they look around and see the bench cheering and everybody's getting involved. So it's just finding little things to motivate everybody on the team. It's not just about scoring. If I have a player who plays great defense, I want to make sure the whole team knows this guy plays great defense. Without him, we cannot win. And all of a sudden, this guy feels like, well, I don't have to score. Then I can talk to Michael Jordan. It doesn't matter because I'm getting recognized for what I do well. And I think it's key to do that, to give everybody some type of role and recognition on the team. Yeah, brilliant. Really nicely summed up there. I think uh, it, it's crucial that, that coaches that are not at the elite sharp end of the game take on board some of those points that Steve said there. I think there's some really important things. You know, kids turn up to sport because they want to play. It's a really important thing that we do. There was a big survey that was done in the States um, and it was uh, it was something it was something like 90% of kids would rather play in their match and the team lose than their sub for the whole time and the team wins because they want to play right and it's really important that we give them that game time. Jenny, what does that kind of look like um, with with your world? What um, man says utopian space. In the performance space, there's those realistic extra pressures of running and recruiting, filling, um, uh, you know, medal positions and progressions and expectations. But I, I think when I uh, smiled at the video, just to link the two points, is sometimes I think that's realistically what's going on in a coach's head when he goes, you're a liar, you know, and that we are now moving at a fast pace towards the coach having so many hats. And been able to solve so many problems and um, we're all human <laughs> and, and as a coach you've come from one context into another stepping over the white line in this case of basketball and then having to put that hat on and engage what enjoyment looks like for those for those um, individual athletes and I think you know Steve couldn't have couldn't have nailed it more for me everybody having a role even if it is the, the two-minute person at the end, that two minutes can grow and they see value in it and it's what the it, the feedback looks like and how we celebrate. Um, and it, it isn't always that in the utopian space where everyone is happy to play less minutes and be a training player, but it's the bigger picture of going forward and coming out of it going, we're all exhausted, we've put in our best, our best effort and we're not as focused on the outcome and more about the experience. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, what's your thoughts around supporting the team? Yeah, I think this is just such a great debate across every sport, isn't it? And I, I watched my nephew when he was eight, and the rules of the league in football were saying that you all players had to exchange position, and he was a little bit like me. He's larger built lad, wasn't the quickest, um, but a good brain for the game. And, and his coach said, look, you're in, you're in, you're in centre midfield now. He's always a defender. He said, you're centre midfield now, but don't go too far up the pitch and make sure you're the first one back. And basically, it, it went to the blonde-haired kid who just ran through everyone anyway. He was supposed to be the centre-back. But the coach said, yeah, go, attack, attack, attack. So I don't think it's that sometimes it isn't actually the, the rules that we use. It can be the intention of how we use them. And I think we need to not just use the rules of the league or the rules of the sport because 
they're different, aren't they, between pro players that Steve's a, a, alluded to before, and and the league the league rules of youth players. But there there's a there's a deeper rule that is the coaching rule. That uh, I spend a lot of time with coaches and, and with the young ones. I say, if you can tell me a hundred percent who the best ten year old is going to be in eight years time, then maybe play them more. But you can't, so don't and don't even try it. So we must create an equal opportunity for them during training and games and everything else. And what that looks like will be very, very different. But there's so many incredibly good rules that sports are bringing in now. We can learn so much from each other. And, you know, Barca will go through every year. Should we allow a kid to play a certain amount of time? Do we not? Does it create a, a good athlete or not? There is so many things. But I think the intention of those and remembering that they're not, kids aren't small adults, which is what I think is wonderful about kicking and screaming. He's talking to them not just like they're little adults rather than, his job is actually to create a culture where they're going to love their game at that age, not just to pass to the Italians because we're going to win. You know, so I think there's loads in that move because I think there's loads in Last Dance. Steve, what's your view on kind of support and develop that team? Well, give, give us some of your real crucial tactics that any coach, any sport could go, right, I could see how that would work for us. Um, as, as I said, you know, one of the, the thing is competitive drills is to set out drills in a certain way where everybody has a chance of having success. It doesn't really depend on your skill level or ability. So we try to set that out so everybody can achieve something. I don't, I, you know, we're not going to grade Michael Jordan the same as you would grade Steve Kerr's ATX. You grade him at Steve Kerr's level and you're always encouraging. I think we just, I'm about everybody feeling valued and wanted on the team. Because I, I know if, if somebody feels like they're wanted and valued on a team, they're going to give you that extra bit of effort all the time. And that's what it takes, really. The journey is about that. It's, it's giving, that giving it all you have. You may succeed, you may not. But as long as you're giving it all, all you have and you're buying into a philosophy, I, I think job's done, especially at the youth level. Obviously, when you get to performance, it's about winning. But, you know, when, when a kid starts off playing, they just want to have some fun. They just want to be part of something great. And this is what, you know, sports offers. You can be a part of a unit working together for one goal and everybody's valued. So, you know, drills are important to me. Uh, having feedback is important and listening to everybody. And also having one-to-ones as best as you can or, you know, two-on-ones. And having, having the player tells you, excuse me, <coughs> what they feel they could do to help the team or how they can improve. And, and really trying to give them some goals. I mean, look, there's so much in that just on its own there as well. But uh, that's exactly it. It's it's all of those kind of points of working with individuals, um, making sure that they all can get challenged and feel a level of success at their own individual level. But it goes back again to what we keep talking about. It's about relationships. It's about understanding that individual, how you challenge them at the level that's appropriate for them, and just stretch and nudge and make them a little bit uh, a little bit out of their comfort zone, but they know that they've got support from you there as a coach. They know that they've got that support. It's crucial. Um, we, we'd just like to finish off with a few questions just for, for each of you. Um, uh, <laughs> it's not you. Who, who would you most like to coach? Did you say me, Nick? Sorry. Yeah, over to you. Yeah. Oh, who would you most like to coach? <laughs> Oh gosh, um, I want to say I love the challenge of of Rodman. 
<laughs> but I don't know if I'd take that on. Um, oh, one of the things that I'd love to have MJ just, just let things roll and I can manage from behind with everyone else. But I really think Scotty Pippen, um, uh, in the space that we're looking at with the last dance, um, you know, there are some awesome players that weren't even in mentioned um, in the documentary or we saw glimpses of them. But where we saw a lot of Scotty Pippen, um, for me, that kind of player, that hardworking player, like one of my other teams at the time was the Supersonics, which I think Ryan mentioned earlier on. That was Gary Payton and his defensive little little tiny guy moving around. Now he's you know not tiny by comparison, um, but it's the hard the hard work element. They they do what I need to do for the team, get the job done, stay in the in the shadows, and and um, use that as kind of the the guide. So yeah, the, that kind of a type of a player, but. You know, you never, you never get that. You get a mixed bag of everybody. So, yeah, it's, it's, that's the mm-hmm. challenge, isn't it? <laughs> what about you? Uh, that's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, I, you know what? I, I would have thought before that I would have been better at, at coming up with the big names. But I would say Will Perdue. Oh, looking back at the sort of I've coached good players, I would say Will Perdue, no one's ever heard of, because he's, he basically was like the big dude who just kind of got on with it and did it. And I think I've, I'd be really good at making him understand his value. I think that kind of is, would have been my thing as a coach. I'd love to say I'd be talented enough to coach the high flyers and the guys, but I, I think I'd be better off making sure that the Scott Burrells will produce, that they understood their true value. I know Steve talked about, you know, everyone feeling valued and wanted. I think I'd be pretty good maybe with those guys if I had to pick two. Steve, how... Um... How much would you have liked to have coached Michael Jordan to play pole better than you? Uh, I wish I, I had the time, but I couldn't afford it. <laughs> Go on, t- t- tell, us, tell us about losing money to Michael. Well, again, it was after one of the scrimmage sessions, went back to the dorm and had our usual uh, study, study hall. And usually we go down to the basement. There's a pool table where you can, uh, and some laundry stuff. You can wash your clothes at the same time. So we always go down there. Some of the guys and we and we play a little bit of pool for friendly friendly wages as you do. Michael Jordan comes down the stairs with one of his mates, Kenroy, and uh, challenges me and Jeff Lebo, who's a fantastic coach in his own right, was my teammate and roommate at the time. So we're in awe of Michael Jordan. We said, Yeah, no problem. Let's 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 have a game, partners. Obviously I come from England, so I played some snooker. No one really knew that, but you know, it made pool pretty easy for me. The table so cool, so cool. The, 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 the table's small, so I, I was kind of a, a, a top guy in, in the pool. So Jordan comes down, and I'm like, yeah, why not? We play a couple games. Jordan, of course, says, why don't we play for money? We're like, Jordan, you're a millionaire. How can we play for money? He's like, what do you have in your pocket? So between me and Lebo, we, we scrambled through our pockets. We got like $20. And we're like, uh, really, we got to do this? Mike's like, listen, are we going to do this or not? That's how, you know, so we start playing for money. We beat him the first game. Obviously, Mike goes double or nothing. We're like, Mike, come on, double or nothing. We beat him again, and he keeps on going. So the third game, he beats us, and obviously, he takes our money. And he, I remember, he folds up the $20 and puts it in his pocket. And we're like, Mike, are you really going to take our money? He goes, well, if you, if, you can't afford to, if you can't afford to lose, why are you playing? And uh, it's just a it's just a fantastic story to know his competitiveness. That that's what it was. And he and he he would have played all night until he beat us. To be fair, he would have kept playing. But that was just it. That was his nature. Anything he did, he he was a hundred percent. And and he always liked a little wager on it. 
Well, it's, uh, there's there's some lessons in that. I'm sure that um, that coaches can, uh, as much as you did as a uh, as a young hustling pool player against Michael Jordan. Um, no, I stopped playing pool after that. That was it. Stuck <laughs> <laughs> to basketball. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Look, thank you for for coming on. Um, Steve, it's been a pleasure, and Matt, thank you so much as well. Absolute pleasure to have the two of you on. Um, you. Unfortunately, that I get enough time with Jenny on a fairly daily basis, so um, that's just uh, part of the ongoing delights of working at UK Coaching. Um, it, there's so much we could have taken from this. You know, we, uh, we could have gone into um, the team's perception of Michael and his relationship with Scotty Burrell. We could have gone into some of the things against the Detroit Pistons. Like, I mean, this, this episode of Curious Coaches Club was almost 10 episodes in itself, like the last dance, because there was so much richness of stuff that could have come from this. But definitely go back and watch it. And so the sessions that we have coming up in the next couple of weeks, we've got a session next week, which is going to be a really interesting session around getting better at reflection. And we touched upon it today, the, the importance of how you think about what you're doing, how you get the most from that. And what we've got is we've got Andy Bradshaw and, uh, and Mark Scott being led by Jenny through that session. And one of the things that we don't do is we don't teach people how to get better at reflection. We just say, go away and think about it without giving them any tools, frameworks, structures to do it. So this is one of those crucial coaching skills that are really important that coaches get better at. So get involved next week as well, getting better at reflection as the topic next week. If you want your certificate for coming on to this and you can give us some feedback, UK coaching website slash we, you can get a certificate for coming on and please leave us some feedback as well, because again, it's, it's, it's your feedback that help us shape and evolve and, and move these sessions on. So, again, if there's stuff that you want to hear, tell us all about it, and we'll make sure that we can try and track down some coaches that can talk about it and give us a level of, of insight into that as well. So thanks, everybody, for, for coming on. UK coaching staff and Matt and Steve, if you could stay on for a little bit as well, that would be fantastic so we can live our own moment of reflection. But thanks, everybody. Take care. Look after yourselves and stay safe. And have a great week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everybody. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.